0: Hey church, welcome to episode six of our series, Love Works. And today, we are looking at how love works in marriage. How love works in marriage. Now, one thing I want to say from the very beginning is that marriage is not a strategy or a survival tactic to combat loneliness. In fact, marriage is also not a social construct. Rather, it has been set by God from the very beginning of history and the very beginning of time. God's idea for us and for our flourishing is to be together in a marriage union between a husband and a wife. And we see that at the very beginning of Scripture. In Genesis chapter one and chapter two, we read about God as the Creator, creating everything, the entire universe, the stars, the earth, water, light and darkness. Trees, plants, fish, the animals on the land, birds in the sky, and Adam, the first man. Now here's what's so interesting. We read that God creates everything and that it's good. But yet, God being all-knowing and very purposeful, he leaves something out of his creation. It says that as, as God creates everything, that he sees that it is not good for a man to be alone, that Adam is not meant to be alone, and Adam feels that tension too, and God knows what he's doing. He's being strategic here. And so as that desire is made known to Adam that it's not good for him to be alone, that he needs a companion, he needs somebody by his side, God, knowing the remedy, is only going to be his wife, Eve, God does not bring her immediately. Isn't that interesting? God knows that what Adam needs is Eve, but he does not bring her right away. Rather, what happens is that God begins to bring the animals, it says, of every kind, male and female, to Adam for him to name them and for them to possibly be a suitable companion for him. Now, if you have pets, you know that animals can be great companions, your dog, your cat, a fish, a hamster, that all types of animals, and there's a relationship that can be developed between humans and animals. There's that connection to God's creation that provides a level of companionship, but it doesn't suffice. It isn't the type of companionship that we really crave deep down. And so God is doing something in, in Adam, in his heart, as he brings these animals of every kind, and it says, of every kind, meaning male and female. So you've got to picture what's going on with Adam. He's sitting there feeling this desire for companionship. And he's naming these animals, which had to have taken a long time. And they're coming two by two, male and female. And at the time, Adam has no counterpart. And it isn't until after it is made known to Adam, after he's named all the animals and it's been this long period of time that he realizes These will not suffice, and so God then puts Adam to sleep, and out of his side, he fashions a suitable companion, a suitable helper for Adam, which is his wife Eve, and when he wakes up from his sleep, and he sees Eve before him, he erupts into the first poem in the history of the world. He says, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He sees his wife and he is head over heels for her. He, fi- he has found that companion, that desire that was cultivated within his heart that God took time to fill. He finally sees it fulfilled in Eve and he erupts into poetry. So what's God doing? See, God here, knowing that he's going to create everything good, is still working in Adam's heart and cultivating in him this desire for his bride, so that when he sees Eve, he will see the goodness of her, he will see God's love and his grace in providing Eve for him. He will understand the importance of this union, this marriage. This is God's design from the very beginning. And so I want to say this as we jump into the text here tonight in Ephesians chapter 5, what my prayer is for you. My prayer is for you that if you are married, that as we read through this together and as we see God's design for your marriage as a husband, as a wife, and overall as being uh, an example of Christ in the church and as a picture of oneness and an experience of oneness, that you would view your spouse as God's grace to you, that you will look back on God's perfect timing to bring them to you, that you would be challenged, but you would also look at your marriage afresh. Maybe there'd be some poetry in your home. And if you are eagerly anticipating a future marriage, that maybe tonight, God would, or today, God would give you a vision for that marriage of the person that God in his perfect timing will bring. And maybe today, if you have had a failed marriage, that you will see God's love and his grace to you and how he's working for your good even now. And that you will feel some freedom and forgiveness and you'll be able to move forward to see what God may provide for you in the future. So that's my prayer as we interact with God's text, that we will see the beauty of marriage that was set by God and that we will stand anew in the relationship that we have or the relationship that God may provide in the future. And so I want to say this as we jump into the text in Ephesians chapter 5 because this would be kind of uh, the metaphor that I'm going to be using throughout this text and that, and that is this, that marriage is like a wheel, And I think that this is what we see here in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, that marriage is like a wheel. That it is meant to have forward momentum. And that in order for a marriage to function properly, both sides that are attached to the wheel need to be pushing together. Because only when both sides are pushing can you actually gain the speed necessary to move over the cracks and roadblocks that come. Now, if you've If you ride bikes or if you ride a skateboard or really anything with wheels, you know that, for instance, I'll use my phone. If you're going slow and you hit a bump, you stop. Or maybe if sometimes you crash. If you hit a crack or a bump and you're going too slow, you can't go over it. But if you have enough speed and you hit a bump, you can go right over it much easier. Oftentimes, you actually barely feel cracks and bumps if you have enough speed. And what I think we will see tonight is that God's set and ordained marriage, which is a picture of oneness and is beautiful, is that when we function within the responsibility that has been given to us as husbands or wives, that it actually begins to build the necessary momentum in our marriages so that we may grow, so that we may move past some of the adversity, some of the bumps and the cracks that we will inevitably find as we move forward together in marriage, in union. And so we're going to interact with that tonight. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, as I mentioned, he speaks about the role of a man and a woman in marriage. And he says this in verse 22 through 24. And I think what he's saying here is, here's how you get the wheel moving. Here's how you get that momentum building as wives and as a husband. He starts with the wives first. He says this in verse 22. Through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Here we go. He says, Wives submit. To your husbands. Wives submit to your husbands. Now, when you read that, many of you are immediately triggered. I have your attention. If I didn't have your attention before, I have your attention now because the Apostle Paul just said that wives are to submit to your husbands. What is he saying? Is he saying that women are somehow inferior to men? Is he saying that men are meant to have authority over women or that the role of a wife is? somehow less than the role of a husband? What does he mean when he says, wives, submit to your husbands? Well, it's important to understand what the widely held belief around marriage was during the time period that the Apostle Paul writes, and certainly the widely held position and belief on marriage in Ephesus. So, Most of the idea around marriage was formed from a Greek philosopher named Plutarch. Plutarch said this about marriage between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. He said that husbands, you are to rule over your wife, you are to control your wife, and wives, you are not meant to seek to control your husband in any way. In fact, you are to obey your husband. Don't shoot the messenger, okay? This is Plutarch. He then says that husbands or men, you are the soul of that relationship. You are the soul, in fact, he says, of humanity, which what he means is you are the intellectual, rational, really the essence of what it means to be human. And then he says wives or women, you're the body, You are the material aspect. And together you make one whole person the body, the material, and the soul, the rational intellectual essence. And I think what the Apostle Paul is actually doing here is he's combating Plutarch, he's combating the widely held belief around marriage and the role of a husband and the role of a wife. Because you have to understand what he says here. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. He doesn't say, wives, obey your husbands, which would have been the common understanding. And we're going to get to what he says about husbands, which looks very different than control your your wife. And we're also going to see that he doesn't view the wife as the body and the husband as the soul. Rather, there's oneness and unity. But here he says, not obey, but submit. The word submit means to support, to follow, and to show honor. To show honor, to respect, to follow, and to support. And it's really important to understand what the Bible says about submission. Because biblical submission is positive and not negative. We sometimes hear the word submit or submission, and we think of it in a negative context. But biblically speaking, submission is a positive thing. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, we, we read about how Jesus submitted to the Father. We we see that very clearly in the garden when Jesus submits to the will of the Father, says, Not my will but yours. That submission is a positive, not a negative. In fact, one of the things that we sometimes think is that to submit or to support is to actually lose honor. It is to give away honor. It is to have your honor taken from you. But biblically speaking, submission is not about losing honor. It's about giving it. It's about showing honor, which does not reflect upon you, and it does not strip you of any dignity or any value or any worth And it does not make you less than. It's simply about showing honor. In fact, in verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 5, right before the Apostle Paul talks about marriage, husbands and wives, in verse 21 he says that we the church are to submit to one another in reverence to Christ. Now we know throughout Scripture, and the Apostle Paul talks about the church many, many, many times, And he says that the church is a body made up of many members with different functions, with different gifts, with different roles, and with different responsibilities. But he says here in Ephesians, that church, you are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That submission is not a negative, it's a positive. It's about showing honor and support to one another. But here he wants to distinguish what that looks like in a marriage because a marriage is unique. And the submission that a wife shows to her husband is unique. It does not mean, ladies, that you are to submit to every man. He's very specific. He says wives are to submit, to show honor and support, to follow their husbands, not any man. In fact, that word is very interesting. The word in Greek is hupotasso which is a combination of two words, hupo and tasso. And the word tasso in Greek is a military term. It's a military term which means to set and arrange and support in such a way as to deploy one for battle. It is about support and arranging and setting things in such a way that somebody else is able to go sus- to be sustained and prepared to fight a battle. It is to deploy someone well for battle. So what is the Apostle Paul saying here? He's saying wise. When you show honor to your husband, when you respect your husband, when you support your husband, when you seek to follow his leadership as he'll speak about in a moment, you are deploying him for battle. You are setting and arranging things so that he might go fight on the front lines of your marriage, the adversity and the battles that you may face well, that he might be sustained to fight. Because he is going to say that husbands, as he mentions here, I think in verse 23, that the husband is the head of the wife. The husband is called to lead, and we're going to flesh out what that means. The husband is to lead in fighting the battles, to fight the battles that are affecting your marriage, the things that are happening in your life and around you, to seek to protect the sanctity of your marriage. And that, wives, you are to submit to your husband to show honor, respect, and support so that you might deploy him to fight well, to be sustained. And then he says here this too, that actually your submission is an act of worship. He says, you submit, you show honor to your husband as to the Lord. That is an act of worship for you to submit so that you might deploy him to fight well as the head, as the one who has been entrusted to lead and to protect your marriage and your family. And this analogy that he gets into in verse 24 is very interesting because as he's said this, as he said Husbands or wives submit to your husbands, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He says in verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. We see this in Scripture, that there's this interesting analogy between marriage and Christ and the church. That a marriage is analogous to Christ and the church. That right here he spells it out. Just like the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands. He's going to continue that where he says, just as Christ loves the church, so also husbands are to love their wives. Now there's a lot of implications to this analogy. But here's what I want us to consider today. Consider Christ as the head of the church, as the one who went to battle for us. You see, Christ went on the front lines to battle for us. And what did he battle? Our greatest enemy, sin and death. And he battled it on the cross. And then he came forth alive from the dead after three days, declaring victory in that battle against our eternal enemy, which is sin and death and he paid for it and he conquered it. And as a response of faith, when you come to faith in Jesus as your savior and you see him as the warrior who fought that enemy of sin and death for you on the cross and was victorious proved in the resurrection, what is your natural response? To submit to Christ. That is the natural response of the church is to submit to Christ to show honor and to show respect and to support the vision that Jesus has for our life, not our vision, and to follow him where he would lead us because he went to battle for us. And this is the connection, the analogy that the Apostle Paul is teasing out for us in the marriage. The husband and wife, there's a connection there between Christ and the church. And here's what's interesting about that. For us as the church, we submit to Christ because he went to battle for us. So therefore, our submission is responsive. We respond by submitting because Christ went to battle for us. And why do we submit? Because he showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. He went to battle sin and death for us while we were still sinners. And so therefore, our natural response upon faith is to submit. Submission is responsive. So listen, wives. Why do you submit to your husbands? The answer should be, because my husband has shown love to me. He has shown me love. It's a response. That's what the Apostle Paul says in verse 25. Right after he talks to the wives, now he directs his attention to the husbands. Verse 25, he says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He's keeping that analogy. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, listen, husbands, your love for your wife is what kickstarts the wheel of your marriage. It is what builds the momentum, is your love toward your wife. In fact, it makes perfect sense because you have been called to be the head, to lead. But how do you lead? You lead with love. And it is so vital to get this. In fact, the Apostle Paul understands how vital it is. That's why he spends twice as much time speaking to the husbands as he does to the wives. He wants the men to get this, to understand their responsibility, that they're to love their wife. So what does it mean then? Husbands, what does it mean for you to love your wife? Well, he makes it pretty clear. It's very plain. He says, love your wife, just like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So how do you love your wife? Through sacrifice. Love is self-sacrificing. Husbands love their wives by sacrificing their own interest for the interest of their wife. Husbands are willing to go to battle for their marriage and for their wife, even if it's going to cost them because that is what love is. It is self sacrificing. If the Apostle Paul was kind of going with the times, he would have said the exact opposite. But remember, he's combating what Plutarch, the Greek philosopher, said and what was the widely held belief. The widely held belief is that the wife obeys, she's the one that submits to the husband's leadership, and the husband leads, not with love, but with power, with authority. Because he is the soul of humanity. He is the intellectual rational one. Therefore, he is the one to have the seat of power and authority. In fact, that's what Aristotle says too, which also would have been a widely held belief. Aristotle said that if you are a leader, if you are a ruler, you should feel no expectation to love those that you're leading. The Apostle Paul says the exact opposite. He is turning social conventions upside down. Husbands, you don't lead from a place of authority or superiority or by trying to hoard some sense of power. No, you lead with love. So I love what the Apostle Paul is doing here in this passage. He's changing everything, what people assumed how marriages are meant to function and had been functioning for a long time. He's showing the beauty of wives that can submit to their husbands to deploy them into battle, to support them and respect them. And then he's saying, husbands, listen, you want to know how you love your wife? How you actually build momentum to get that wheel moving in your marriage? You Love your wife by being willing to sacrifice of yourself for her and for your marriage. He's turning everything upside down. In fact, he's He's turning masculinity itself upside down. Because during this time, the culture would have said, to be masculine is to be superior, is to have power, and is to claim and hold on to authority. That is why when Christ goes to the cross, it is not seen as masculine at all. It is seen as shame. That's why he endured the shame of the cross, hung naked, lost all of his power, lost all control, lost all what people viewed as authority, nobody would have looked at the cross and said, that's a picture of, a picture of masculinity. But it is in fact the greatest picture of masculinity. It is in fact the greatest picture of masculinity because you see love and power accurately power is given away, but it's actually maintained in a very unique and special way through love. He's flipping everything upside down. That the way that we lead is actually through love. That true power is founded in real love for those that you are responsible for. True power is founded in real love for those that you are responsible for. The Apostle Paul is saying, Husbands, your wives have been entrusted to you. You're to lead them. But do you know how you lead? With love. And that is, in fact, true power. To lead with love. A self-sacrificing love. It's not ambiguous what it looks like to love your wives sacrifice. That is true power. And sadly, and I have to say this, sadly I think that in many ways we still have lost this understanding of true power. We've lost what it means to lead with love. We've fallen prey to believing that masculinity is superiority Because oftentimes, men that lead their wives by loving them and sacrificing for them are often the recipients of shame by other men, oftentimes in the form of jokes. And men, you know what I'm talking about. You know how that is. Jokes about you sacrificing of your own interest for the interest of your wife and your marriage. But see, you should feel no shame. And you certainly, certainly should never seek to cast shame on any, any man that is leading his wife by sacrificing of his own interests and for, of his own self for the sake of his wife and his marriage because that is in fact what we've been called to do. To lead with love. And it's not an ambiguous love. It's not sentimental. Well, certainly there is a sentimental and Aspect of our love for our wives, we're to lead with sacrifice. Type of love that Christ has shown us. That is how we lead. The Apostle Paul continues. Remember, I told you he spends way more time speaking to the men. He says in verse 28 through 30 this In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. He's saying here this. Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. It's another way that he loves the church. So husbands, you lead your wife by loving her, by sacrificing for her, and you should seek to nourish and cherish your marriage and your wife. You may be thinking, well, how do I do that? How do I nourish my marriage? How do I cherish my wife? There's, I, mean, I think there's many ways, but here's one way that I want to encourage you today. And that is this. Ask your wife how you might love her better. Ask your wife if you are fighting the battles that need to be fought for your marriage. Ask your wife if you're leading her well. Ask your wife if she's feeling cherished by you. Now, you may be thinking, I don't want to go there. Like, that's going to be a hard conversation. I'm nervous about, like, how, like that, that could be a multiple day. That could be a weeks-long conversation. I could hear some really hard things. yes. But it's good. That's how you nourish and cherish your marriage, is that you are asking for the support of your wife to help you be deployed for battle, to battle for your marriage. And so you are asking for her to help set and arrange so that you might lead well. And wives, as you're being asked by your husbands to share... You need to share with honor. You see, that's the thing. We do not, as husbands, we do not always fight the battles we are meant to fight. We do not always love perfectly. We are not like Christ, who fought the battle for us perfectly and loves us perfectly and nourishes and cherishes us, his church, perfectly. We don't do that. And so we need to ask, husbands, our wives, to receive that support. And wives, when you share, you're to share with honor so that you might move the wheel of your marriage forward and build momentum. And here's, one, here's a little test. If you're unable to have those conversations, you're unable to ask or you're unable to share with honor and respect, there's a very clear place to begin to work on your marriage because you need to begin to have those conversations to begin to nourish your marriage. Husbands need to learn and hear of places that they can love better where they can go fight battles that they maybe don't see. And wives, you need to feel free to share, but also to share with honor, to support in the way the husband needs. So husbands, ask your wife how you might cherish and nourish and lead better in your marriage. And wives, share with your husbands, but share with honor, supporting the apostle paul in closing in verse 31 and then in 33 he says this therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one again you see very clearly how he's combating plutarch here as he's giving these different roles and responsibilities that are very different from what everybody would have held to and believed and thought was good and wise he says actually there's these unique roles of a wife As a husband and you come together in one flesh, this is God's design. That you leave your father and mother and you come together. And that as you become one, not one as the soul and one as the body, but one together mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, you begin to experience the beauty of God's design in marriage the joy that is found in marriage, the momentum that can be built up in marriage when you function in these ways. Here's a side note. We'll talk about this a little bit next week when we look at singleness. But this is why it is so important to marry someone that, is, that you are equally yoked with, meaning somebody that has the same faith in Christ as you. Because you cannot experience oneness If you are not one holistically, you you cannot just be one mentally, emotionally, and physically, but not spiritually. you got to be one spiritually. In fact, it's the most important component so that you can experience all that God has set for marriage, which is not a social construct and is not just a survival tactic to combat loneliness. You can be lonely in a marriage, but you need to seek to be one. So that you can receive this challenge from God's word as a man or as a woman. And I think that if we see this, we begin to live like this, we'll see that wheel begin to turn. And that momentum begin to build up. Not just as one side turns, but as both turn together. To build up speed. That's why the Apostle Paul closes very Just wraps it all up in verse 33 where he says, However, let each one of you, speaking to the husbands, love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. He uses, instead of submit, he uses respect. Show honor, show respect, support. Now listen, you may be hearing this and thinking a lot of things. You may be thinking about the ways that you've been failing as a wife or as a husband you be thinking about how your vision for marriage was way different, that future marriage you're hoping for. Maybe it was different than what you see here. Maybe you're thinking about a previous failed marriage, and you're feeling a weight. You're feeling shame or guilt. I want to say this. As you start this week anew and afresh, and that's my prayer for you, that you're challenged, but you start fresh. That you realize something. That you cannot fulfill the role of husband and wife as we see here unless you are resting as a bride you have to rest as a bride because when you rest as a bride of christ christ as the bridegroom the head of the one who leads, the one who fought the battle for us of sin and death on the cross and was victorious, the one who invites us through faith into his victory, the one who cherishes us and nourishes us, what you realize is that you are forgiven and free. When you rest in your reality as a bride of Christ and him as the perfect bridegroom that loves well and loves perfectly and can sustain you, you are reminded that you are forgiven and free. So you may be thinking about all the ways that you failed in your marriage. You're forgiven and free. You may be thinking about the mistakes that you've, you've made in dating relationships. You may be thinking about how you had a faulty view of marriage. You may be thinking about a previous failed marriage. And feeling like you, you interacted with your husband and your wife In the wrong way. You're forgiven and free as a bride of Christ. You are forgiven and you are free. And that should take you to move forward this week, to move forward with joy, to move forward with anticipation, to say, God, I I, want to experience that freedom as a bride of Christ. As I consider the way that I may be a husband or a wife this week or as I reflect on a previous marriage, or as I anticipate a future marriage that I'm praying for you to bring, knowing that you're a God that brings it in the perfect timing, and right now you may be cultivating my heart, that you would rest in the reality that you're forgiven and free. I want to close with this quote. I love this quote from Martin Luther, the pastor and reformer. He says this, and I hope that this resonates with you this week. It says, who can understand the riches of the glory of this grace? Here this rich and divine bridegroom, Christ, marries this poor wicked harlot, redeems her from all her evil, and adorns her with all his goodness. Her sins cannot destroy her, since they are laid upon Christ and swallowed up by him. And she has that righteousness in Christ, her husband, of which she may boast as of her own, in which she can confidently display alongside her sins in the face of death and hell and say, if I have sinned, yet my Christ, in whom I believe, has not sinned, and all his is mine, and all mine is his, as the bride in the Song of Solomon says, my beloved is mine, and I am his. I pray this week, church, that you would remember that you are a bride of Christ, forgiven and free, that you go forward with anticipation, with joy, feeling forgiven, of anything, in the past, and being hopeful of the future. Will you pray with me? God, we are grateful that you are patient with us, that you give us a picture of, of The responsibilities within marriage, that we see that it is your set design, that you have ordered it for us, for our flourishing. I pray that you would challenge us, Holy Spirit, that you would move in us to give us a picture, a very clear picture, for those of us that are married of how we might interact and how we might lead or support, that you would begin to move the wheel of our marriage forward with momentum. For those of us that have previous marriages that may have failed, would you give us freedom from that? Would you remove that shame? Help us to rest as a bride of Christ. Be hopeful for what lies ahead. As well as for those that are anticipating a future marriage, would you speak right now that your timing is perfect? That you're cultivating and preparing their heart for what you will do, because you are a God that always works good. We pray that this would be our reality this week and would sink in deep today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.